to. Talk about do-overs here. We got Benjamin Turner is our reader today. Come on up, Benjamin. Let's give it up for young Ben. Now, Benjamin uh, is, uh, last time I was up, uh, Benjamin read for me, and we're going to get to that in just a minute as to why he's up again uh, with that. So go ahead. You got, you got our verse for the day? Okay, we're going to start with that. Oh, there you go. Pull his sword out of his pocket. There you go. Jesus looked at his followers and said, What great blessings there are for you who are poor. God's kingdom belongs to you. What great blessings there are for you who are hungry now, you will be filled. What great blessings there are for you who are crying now, you will be happy and laughing. Awesome. Awesome. And that was from Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be in Luke today, uh, Luke chapter 6. So go ahead and start turning there if you would, or flipping there, however you get there. Uh, last time I was up in the, in the other room, uh, Benjamin was, was up, and, and he is a, uh, a connoisseur of yo-yo uh, talent. But we had a yo-yo malfunction last time. Uh, we, we, I think you tried to walk the dog, wasn't it? And, and I think we could have played who let the dogs out because that dog kept rolling. I mean, it was rolling on. So, uh, so everybody needs a do-over, don't they? So we're going to have a little do-over today with Benjamin. So I, I hear we got a, a plethora of tricks going on, right? So I hope, I hope everybody in the room and online can see this. This is Redemption Day. Uh, do you need a, I'll, I'll do a color commentary for you. How about that? Now I will tell you, last time, and I think we've, we've got the yo-yo. Oh, we've got a different yo-yo, don't we? Uh, and, and I think the not, not aside, but be careful. These first few rows, you don't know what's fixing to happen. Just get ready to duck. And some of you are a little bit older there, Tara, Donnie, you might want to, uh, duck, go ahead and hold your hands up. So, go ahead. Whoa, whoa. That thing's still spinning, by the way. I can feel the air off of it. Look at that. I think that's... Look at there. So, um, tell me what all those were. Um, it was rocking rock the baby the, or something like rock that. The baby rock the baby yeah. and the forward toss. And I think that was it. That was good. It looked like a, a dozen different things. Right? I mean, that was good. Man, you got flair. Give it up right there. Good job. And on top of that, the yo-yo held. No one had, you saw me though, I'm over here, like, this is not gonna, not gonna feel good. Uh, you know, we all need a do-over. Benjamin got him a do-over, it was Redemption Sunday. Uh, but you know, when that yo-yo fell off that end of that string and it went rolling down those stairs, <laughs> man, he handled that so well. Sometimes things don't work out the way we want them to and we just gotta handle it. Uh, by the grace of God and, and a lot of laughter. Uh, so good job, and great job reading our text this morning uh, from Luke uh, chapter 6. You know, we all need, at some point, a do-over in our life. Uh, if you think about it, every, just about every uh, sporting 
event and uh, has some type of provisional thing in there that that you can you can have a do-over. If you're a golfer, uh, there's or at least like our level of golfing, there's a mulligan. I mean, we used to have the Wormburner Golf Tournament here, and I would buy 18 mulligans. I mean, that's one. That's an extra. That's a do-over on every hole, and uh, and it was a, a fundraiser type deal. And you uh, uh, in, in in baseball. You have it on both sides of the plate. You have a, uh, you have if you're the, if you're the batter, you have a, you have three strikes. You get three chances. Uh, if you're the pitcher, you get four balls. Doesn't seem fair and equitable, but it is a do-over. You get another shot at it, or you hit that foul ball. Just about m- most most things in life. Oh, let's let's start that over. And we're thankful for those do-overs. Our text today is about shines a lot on what do-overs are about. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, there's a shot here. There's an opportunity that's presented to you. Our text sounds familiar. Uh, uh, probably not so much from Luke, but from another book of the Bible. Where, where would that sound familiar from? The Beatitudes, yeah. When you get into those blessings, blessed are this, blessed are this. And what Matthew takes uh, three chapters to talk about, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Luke basically does in 29 verses. Luke's our kind of preacher, isn't he? Uh, take it, make it real simple, real short. I hope we can do that today. Uh, but you go further back into this idea of blessings. Blessed is the person who does this. Blessed is the person who does this. And we're going to get to those familiar words in just a minute. But that goes all the way back, not to just Matthew and Luke in the first century, Luke wrote much later and Matthew earlier, but it goes way back before Matthew. It goes all the way back to uh, in the Old Testament where it has a lot of covenant language that is there. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11 says this, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands, the curse if you disobey. And that was kind of a paraphrase. But that's it. You have this, when you hear this, blessed is the poor, blessed are those who do this, blessed are this. Same, same idea. If you're in Jesus or you're in a relationship with God, there is blessing. You have been rescued and redeemed from the curse. The flip side of that is true. If you're outside of Jesus, if you're outside of a relationship with God, you're outside of His kingdom and His reign in your life, you're still in the curse. It is a cursed world. We don't have to look very far to realize how cursed it is because of sin and that blessing, we're rescued from that curse, brought into a blessing of a relationship with Jesus. We line ourselves up in that relationship, Jesus says, with me, and blessing will take place. Align ourselves outside of that and we're back into the curse. And that is not where we want to be. So before we get to these familiar words of Beatitudes and, and the rest of this chapter in chapter 6, let's, let's take a look at the setting here. Uh, read with me, verse 17. He, talking about Jesus, went down with them. And that's, if you go back to the verses right before, he's talking about those disciples, uh, the ones he would, he would designate as apostles or the missionaries or the ones that he would send out. Kind of this special group of his inner circle. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples, a different group of followers, was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon 
who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by, the, by evil or unclean spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Let's understand kind of the setting that's happened here. You've got four groups of people. You've got the twelve. Uh, these would be the ones that, at least at some level, were bought in. They've left things that they're living. They left their livelihood. They've left what they did, and they followed Jesus. And he has taught them, spent a lot of time with them. We see uh, the, the calling of them in, in several different areas uh, up until this, these first five chapters. The next group of people you have, if you have other disciples, a larger crowd, uh, I call them the fans. They like what's happening. They like what they hear. They like what they see. You get fed pretty good from time to time. And there's a lot of excitement about this itinerant preacher that, and what he says and what he does. They're, they're, they're hitting, they, they want to buy in, but maybe they haven't. They're still on those outskirts. There's the curious, the great number of people from all over the region. Some were desperate. Some were very curious. I've never seen this or heard this. This is sounding like maybe this is a Messiah. Is this the one they were talking about? There's the curious. And then, though they're not mentioned in this text, he talks to them later. The religious skeptics. They're the ones sitting on the, on the outskirts here. Looking in, saying, what's going on? They're doubtful. I don't know about this. Their arms are closed. they got this, this whole closed thing going on about them. And they're just kind of looking down at all this, like, what's happening? So you have those four people coming together, four groups of people in these large crowds coming together. Why were they there? Some had come to be healed of diseases that they couldn't get relief from. And we see that throughout Jesus' ministry, people following him, even coming up and sneaking up behind him and touching the hem of his garment just to have that healing. And they had that faith and that trust. I've got to do something. We see desperation. We see people being troubled by evil spirits, evil, unclean, or, or just evil troubling them. And they needed relief, and they saw Jesus as a way to do that. And some, it even says, or maybe all of them, came to hear him. Says They wanted to hear what he had to say. They all, like us, need, needed a do-over. They needed another shot. Some of them knew it. Some of the most desperate ones knew they needed a do-over. Some of the most hurt ones needed to have life and hope spoken into them. Even those who thought, oh, we got it together, I'm fine, I don't need that. I don't need what they're offering. I'm just real. I'm just going to watch for a minute and see what's going on. They needed a do-over from Jesus too. So imagine this scene. The crowds that started with just a few people of calling a few fishermen, a, a tax collector, a zealot, and a few others like that, some cousins, some family. Then it starts to grow. They start telling people about other things. News starts growing about the region. They start hearing what's happening. And crowds start following him. He, kind of, he goes to one of the synagogues, makes them mad. Ooh, he told them, let's go see who else he's going to tell. That popularity starts to grow. And he comes along and they, they, they move towns. And what follows? All the crowds. And they want to get close 
They're pushing, they're pulling, they're wanting to see Jesus. In fact, it even comes along and says, uh, those troubled by evil spirits and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. There was something different. So you can imagine if you were one of the few in the early days and how that thing grew and how, man, this is kind of, it's getting a little uncomfortable and maybe you want to keep it exclusive, but that's not what Jesus is about. He's not about being exclusive. And all these people that are coming in and they're wanting to touch him and they're wanting to, to pull at him and they're wanting, wanting him to touch them and them to, to, to just reach out and, and have some type of contact with Jesus. It was shocking. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. You think about those people. They were the ones on the margins. They're the ones that usually are on the outside watching in while there's this group of insiders saying, oh, you can come here. And we see this. Remember when the, when the little children came to Jesus and his disciples who were in that inner circle said, no, 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 don't bother the master anymore. They even said that to blind Bartimaeus. No, 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 don't bother the master. Tell them to come here. Well, get up and come on here. And you kind of see this little bodyguard syndrome they have going on uh, around him and and, and these are marginalized people that were at once looking in, wanting to be in, but yet they find themselves at the feet of Jesus being able to touch Him. And then the reciprocity there, He's touching them. So there's, I want to touch you, you're touching me, this doesn't happen, I'm a leper, I've never been this close to people in years, what is happening, I'm unclean, whatever it is, they're in there connected with them. And it was shocking to everybody. What is Jesus doing? It was shocking to the, to the people watching all those four crowds and then the people that were being touched and healed. They're like, wow, what is this? That's the scene. And then he begins to teach him. His teachings were different. Nicodemus in John 3 said, the guy with all the robes and all the inside said, you have the words of life. Peter would say in John 6, you have the words of life. You're a teacher from God. So what did they hear? So that's the scene. That's the scene. That's the crowd. That's what's happening there with Jesus and all these people. And I love it. In verse 20, he says, looking at his disciples. Or in some versions, it's a little more literal. He says, if you could just imagine, he's here and he's got all these people and they're touching, he's healing and he's paying attention to. And I have the feeling that Jesus has this ability that when He's talking to you and He's healing you and He's touching you, you're the only person in the world right then. You ever have those people that, that, that can do that? It doesn't matter what's going on around. It can be chaos. But you are the most important and focused of their attention at that time. And man, that makes you feel important, doesn't it? It makes you feel special. It makes you feel not in the way. But it makes you feel like you belong. And that's that touch and that, 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 that healing. And that's that what, he, what they're getting right there. And the, the literal version says, And he lift his eyes to his disciples. To those that were watching, those 12 and maybe those larger groups that were following, as, as he's focused on what's right here in front of him, all this, and we know he did because, because he would, multiple times throughout his life, we see written that he would see Jerusalem and would cry. He would see the hurting people and he would weep with them. We have a compassionate God that became flesh and carries the same emotion and the same compassion and the same mercy that we desire to give to other people. 
and we desire. He, he's the one that gives that to us. And it says he lifted his eyes and began to teach them. And what did he say? Well, the first thing he said is what Benjamin read this morning. And I'm reading from the NIV, so it'll sound a little different. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew says it a little bit different. But Luke's audience is a little different, so he has a little bit different emphasis. First thing he says, one, is you have access. The blessing of the kingdom is full access to everyone. It's not just to this select group of people. It's to everyone. Remember, Luke is a Gentile writing to a Gentile, and we are all Gentiles. There was a point in time when they didn't think we could even be in, but we have full access. We oftentimes think that, and oftentimes here, and maybe even said, I'm too far gone. I'm too damaged. I'm too bad. My sister died uh, several several years ago, and uh, she spent a long period in the wilderness. And when she came back, my mom called. Uh, she'd gone up to Connecticut and living a pretty tough life. My mom called and said, "Hey, your sister's home." I said, "Okay." And it's not good. I was like, all right. So I came over and we spent most of the night uh, crying in repentance. And I'll never forget, and this was, this was years ago, years ago. She, uh, she said, can I be forgiven? I said, yeah, of course you can. And she said these words, you don't know what I've done. I said, well, actually I do. But <laughs> most of the time when we, th- we think people don't know what we've done, but most of the times people know, actually I do. And I know, yes, you can be forgiven. And she struggled the rest of her life. But you know what? When she died that morning, I think she opened her eyes. I know she opened her eyes in heaven. And because it doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter how far we've gone or how damaged we are or what we potential we have or don't have. It's not about what we have, but what He has for us. It's not about what we possess, but the One who wants to possess us and whose possession we are in. That's where it is. Blessed are you who are poor. Jesus says, because you have the kingdom of heaven. You have, Jesus says, you have full access to the blessing of the kingdom. The kingdom of yours is yours. You belong to Jesus, therefore the blessings of the kingdom are yours. And we grow in those blessings. I love to see people grow. I love to see uh, uh, whenever people who were just, I remember a lot of people in this room and then in the other room as well, the day they were baptized. I remember when they came in. And in uh, uh, having been here a long time and worked with teenagers, I love I love to watch our teenagers uh, when they came in at 11 and 12 years old, or for or however they got here, and now they're they're serving in areas and they're they're leading in areas, and I love that. Why? 
Because it's not about what, who we are or what we have. We can come as poor and bankrupt as possible spiritually. <laughs> and it's the blessing of the kingdom that He pours out. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. You have access to whatever in the kingdom of God. The other thing He says in the last part of that is verse 21. Blessed are you who hunger... Uh, Verse 20, first part of verse 21, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. So not only do you have access, you have satisfaction. We oftentimes in our fleshly life feed a cycle of dissatisfaction. You ever done that in your life? Okay, this is going to make me happy. We, we start chasing happiness. We start chasing the next thing that's going to, okay, this is going to work, this is going to work, this is going to fix it. When the only true sort of, only true source of satisfaction is found in a relationship with Jesus. What are you hungry for? You're hungry for relief. You're hungry for peace, rest, assurance, forgiveness, restoration, belonging, safety. You want joy? It comes from the blessing of the gospel. You also have hope. Verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. Life is heavy, isn't it? As we said earlier, we don't have to uh, go too far or talk to too many people or, or listen to too many stories or drive down the road too much to realize life is heavy. And sometimes it's not as heavy as others, but sometimes it's very heavy. I remember we were uh, uh, coming home from Christmas when we were in college living in Abilene, Texas, back in the early early 90s. And I had uh, I just getting was just getting over a sinus infection and all this stuff, and it was Christmas Eve, and I had just gotten off work, and I come home, and Karen said, "Where's that medicine at?" Because she was getting sick. I said, "You know what? I left it at the store I was working at." So in Abilene, Texas, about 11:30 on Christmas Eve, there's one store open at that time, and I drive across town. And I'm dead dog tired, and we're leaving early the next morning. And I go get high-dollar medicine because it's at a gas station. And and I Kleenex and everything, and I put it on the counter. And he said, how are you tonight? I said, I'm all right. I said, how are you? <laughs> well, not too good. Okay. About an hour and a half later... I end up praying with the guy and talking to talking to the guy. And I come back and Karen's like, "What took so long?" I said, "Well, I'll tell you tomorrow on the way home." <laughs> you know, so here's the medicine, go to sleep. But you don't. It, it, it doesn't take too long to figure out life is heavy, isn't it? Life is heavy. It is a sin cursed world that we live in, and we've all felt it. The nights get long. The nights get lonely. Sometimes it's hard to hold your head up. Sometimes you just wish you'd close your eyes and wake up in heaven. I've been there, but yet we don't grieve like people who don't have hope. We sing the familiar song from Psalm 3. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory, the one who, what? Lifts my head. Get that picture? You ever that person? You ever been so down and that those people come in and they take your chin and they lift you up and they embrace you? That comes from the Holy Spirit living in that person. 
And that's the hands of Jesus doing that. You will laugh again. Why do we know that? Because the Bible says so. Psalm 30 says, Weeping may last for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You will laugh again. Not only that, but you have purpose, a mission, a calling. Verse 22, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the, their fathers treated the prophets. The blessed life in the kingdom isn't always a blessed life in culture. When we run counter to the culture, the culture will ridicule. The, cult, the culture will persecute. Fortunately, we are in a place where they're not killing us for it. Like we have to, uh, the man in, in, in the Middle East there baptizing people all over and it's illegal for them to do and we have to black out their faces, blur out their faces there so that they can't identify them because I think they probably watch. And we have to blur it out to protect their safety and their anonymity but you know what he's doing? He's doing it anyway. And many of us who have burnt bridges in the past with people come in and we turn to Jesus and they still don't trust. And they're like, well, it's just another time you've done this and this and this. And you know what? We keep doing it even though we're maybe suffer for it. Jesus said in some of his last words to his disciples, don't be shocked they won't like you. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, they would love you as well as the world can love. But you do not belong to the world. You belong to me. I have chosen you out of the world. We actually have something to live for. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a kingdom of princes and, and, and daughters and sons of the king. We have a mission. We have a mission to represent God to the world and go, uh, the world to God. We are that gap. We are salt. We are light. We are hands. We are feet. We are the ones who speak good news. That is our mission. That is our calling. Will we face all kinds of things as a result of it? Yes, the battle is real. But we see past people's behavior and see the real enemy there. Is the struggle worth it? You bet it is. Because look around. You're in good company. You're in great company. And not just in these rooms and online, but all throughout the world, there are soldiers fighting. We all have a mission. There's also a warning. The woe here that it says carries the idea of what Deuteronomy talked about in the curse. There is, it says this, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. We spend a lot of time, a lot of us have, some of us, probably most of us, living in the curse. Living outside of Jesus, where it was not, it was not good. It was a cursed life and not this kingdom blessed life. Those of you who have not, Stay in the blessing. There's no benefit of ever being in the curse. It's, uh, there's no benefit to having a sin resume that's long. Have a short sin resume. Stay in Jesus. That wasn't even in the notes. That was for free. But we've all lived that. Those people who are outside the kingdom, woe to them. Why? One, this is what it looks like. It's temporary. You have what you're going to get. Oh, you're rich now? You're going to be wanting something later. You, you've already received your comfort. It's temporary. Not only that, 
Verse 25, woe to you who are well fed, because guess what? You're going to be hungry. It's opposite. The blessing is opposite than the curse. You will be hungry. There's going to be loss. You're going to lose instead of gain. Not only that, woe to them. Uh, woe, woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn. Oh, you may be laughing now, but you still don't have hope. There's hopelessness. And look here. This may be one of the most defining things of a life in the curse. There's shallowness. Woe to you when men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. There's shallowness in relationships. I hope everybody here listening to this, whether you're online, this room, watching it this week, have more than one or two people that you can call when you get in a bind. I hope you got a, I hope you got a list of favorites on your phone that says, I, I can get down the list and won't get very far without calling somebody because of that. That's, that's not, that's, that's, that's having community. And that's what God designed us to do, to be in that. There's no shallowness of this. We have people in our life, hopefully, that love us enough to confront us and tell us sometimes what we don't want to hear and sometimes Kick us in parts that we don't want to be kicked because we need it. And that's not always comfortable, but it's necessary. And that's the depth of relationships that come from relationship with God. Well, the blessed life also is a changed life. Verse 27. I'm going to, we, because of time, we don't have time to read all of this. But whenever we step out of this cursed Life, and we step into this blessed life in a relationship with God, it changes us. We, we are changed. And look, that change can be very slow, but you've probably heard me here say before, if you've heard me speak, that a little bit of change here makes a big difference down there. If I want to walk straight back, all I have to do is move a little bit and the trajectory changes. How many of you have sat here right now and, and you know, uh, Stephanie shared her testimony and uh, Friday night. And, man, the trajectory of a life change in just a, a, a several, several years is amazing. And how many has the trajectory of our life changed in a short period of time because we got the gospel changed us? Well, our circumstances may not change, but how we see our life changes. Our perspective changes. But I tell you, verse, seven, verse 27, You who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. All of a sudden, when your perspective changes, your enemy is not your enemy. It's a person. It's your prayer partner. It's a person you're praying for. Your enemy is not your enemy. The person who does you harm, it's the person that you have an opportunity to do good for. And look, I know. I'm talking to a church full of rednecks. It's not, and I grew up, and I am one. I'm from here. It's one of those things that, hey, you got some, if, if that person is against me, guess what? They're against all of us. That's like, yeah, well, let's go. We'll take care of that. No, 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 no. Now, it's, you know what a bunch of converted rednecks look like? Well, we better get together and pray for that person. 
And that's what we're going to do. You know what? We're going to go hem them up and we're going to go throw them up in the back of the truck and tie them up with a water hose and bring them up here so he can have what he needs. You know, those of you who know, if you ever had a water hose in the back of your truck because there was a fight, you know, you can swing a water hose and it can really do some damage. You know, some of y'all don't know that. But, but uh, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You know, a water hose can really do some, do some damage. You get in the back of the truck, start swinging it, keeps people away. I saw that one time. Never done that, but I saw it. <laughs> but <clears throat> the <laughs> but now we just tie them up and bring them up here. Our perspective changes. How you see your life and how you live your life. Like I said, your circumstances may not change, but how you see your life will change. You start loving your enemy. Look here in verse 35. You start giving mercy. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Mm, now you got my pocketbook. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Well, you got me there. I was ungrateful and wicked and you showed me mercy. I will show mercy. Be merciful just as your Father in Heaven is merciful. Start seeing people and treating people different. And you know what? People take notice. Why would you do that for me? Because it was done for me. But not only that, our heart will change. We'll start examining our own life in order to help other people. And that's what this section is when he says, Don't judge, or you too will be judged. Don't condemn, or you'll be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. And he goes on, it's a very familiar text and oftentimes misused. But the whole point is this. Let's look inside. You ever, you ever tried to fix somebody else so you didn't have to fix yourself? Yeah. Oh, I can fix you. Well, what about you? Don't worry about me and let me fix you. Makes me feel good. They don't have to worry about me. But a change of heart begins to look in the mirror and examines our own life. And sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes I don't like what I see. But that's what a changed heart does. Not only that, the evidence of that, look here in verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is what? Recognized by its own fruit. I'm not so sure this, 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 uh, this change in you is real. Keep watching. Keep watching. You'll know what kind of tree I am by the fruit I bear. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The Good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. Our thoughts and our behaviors that are on the, our behaviors and our words rather on the outside start from what we put in and well up from inside of us. Live from your heart out. The external deeds are only relevant if the inner internal heart is true. Might do good deeds, but is your heart right? A blessed life is a changed life. It changes from the inside out. So we circle back to the people there on the plains there in Judea that all needed a do-over. The group of twelve, the fans the curious, the skeptics, 
All needed Jesus. All needed a do-over. The question is, which group do you identify with? Are you part of the 12 that says, man, I'm all in, yeah, this is me, I'm with you. Are you one of those that I'm just trying to, I, I, I'm, I, I like what I'm seeing, I'm like what I'm here, but I'm not really ready to buy in? Are you the curious that just heard something and stepped in like, what's going on here? I'm not sure what this is. Are you the religious skeptic? That I got it together. I got it on. I, I've never strayed from this. You know, I don't know what this is all about. Are you that, that one that, well, it's kind of arrogant in, in, your, in your relationship with God? At one point in time, we've probably all been every one of them. And given, given time, we may be all of them again. And the point is, we all need Jesus. We all need a do-over. So we end this sermon where Jesus ended his, asking the question, where are you building your life? Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? I always, I always show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck and the house uh, struck that house but could not be the house couldn't be shaken because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck, the house collapsed and its destruction was complete. Are you the one that hears and says, I'm rebuilding, I'm taking the do-over, and I'm rebuilding on a firm foundation? Or are you the one that says, mm-hmm, I think I'm good. I think I'm good with the sandy foundation I'm on. And that's where Jesus leaves it. And that's where we leave it. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for words that give hope and at the same time sting. Because all of us at one place or another, in one form or fashion, are in that crowd. We're one of those four groups. We're one of those. Uh, and we fall in there at different times. But I do pray that we are all ones who recognize the need for you. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your words of challenge and your words of hope. And I pray, Father, that as we, uh, as we grow and we walk in you, wherever we are, we'll follow your grace deeper and deeper that has no end so we can be more like you. We offer a time of invitation at this time in our church, and there are going to be some men and some women up here to come pray with you, to help and to guide you and to speak life into you. I know for some this is a time to all right, slip out a little early and because uh, we've got to go. But don't miss the family time. Don't miss the importance of family right here. If there's a need, won't you come while we stand and sing?